0: The following is a presentation of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and Pastor Chris Tice. For more audio and video content, please check us out on the web at www.opendoornj.org. In our text today, Jesus gathers here with his disciples and they're partaking here of his last meal. And uh, as he gathers there with them, there's some interesting things as we've looked at the text Uh, How many found it interesting that just like when he told them to go get the colt, the the foal of the donkey there, that he sent them kind of in a similar fashion? Did he go? The two of you go, and he said, uh, you'll find this colt. If somebody asks you, this is what you'll say, and this is what will happen. How many thankful that God knows what we don't know? That God knows what's ahead of us, that God knows the path that is before us, and as the Proverbs remind us, that in all our ways may we acknowledge him and He will direct our paths. This same Jesus is saying to us in our lives as we're moving forward in life, go do this and go do that and trust Me. Answer according to what My Word says. Just do what I'm telling you to do. You may not understand how it's all going to work out, but don't we have faith and trust in the fact that God does? I don't know if you know how things are going to be done. I don't know if you're you're questioning some things in your life right now, but one of the most wonderful truths of God's Word that we see here is Jesus is omniscient. He knows what's going to take place. He knows what's going to come to pass. He knows it all, and we have to trust Him in it, don't we? Because in the moment, we can't see how it's all going to work out. The uh, disciples were scattering, they were, uh, they were desiring, come on, the sun was going down on Friday night before the Sabbath, it's time to scatter, it's time to get indoors, it's time to make preparation, especially now, this special time where they're supposed to be observing the Passover. Can I remind you, this is something that they needed to prepare for, it was something that required great preparation, it was something that required uh, them to follow specific laws that were given to them in regards to the Passover. And I want you to look at with me uh, three meanings here uh, that we see in the text as we look at the meanings. But before we go to the meanings, I just want to make a couple statements. One is that while we may not be Jewish, uh, and some are here today, but while you, a majority, I believe, are not Jewish, Gentiles, we may not observe the Passover. How many know that many times we tend also to focus on the methods and the motions of the things that we do, and miss the meaning in them. You know, we could observe the Lord's table this morning. We're not going to. Uh, We, if you're a member of our church, we do that on Sunday evenings. It's for believers only. Uh, It's something that we do as a church family. It's something that we're commanded to come together to do in remembrance of Him. It's an important thing that we ought to be a part of. Uh, But when we do observe that, how many know that we still sometimes have the tendency... To focus on the motions, we still sometimes have a tendency to focus on the methods, and in that, we miss the meaning of it all. In our relationships, in our lives, sometimes we go through the motions, but we miss. Yesterday uh, conducted a wedding here, and always when we see the symbolism of ceremony boy, it reminds us of something. I I stood here and uh, conducted the wedding and thought back to when I said I do to my wife, to when I made the commitment to my wife. Boy, that ceremony was a reminder of something that has great meaning to me. But if we just, come on, how many people today just go through the motions of a ceremony? They dump thousands of dollars into a ceremony and they forget the meaning behind it. They forget why we're doing what we're doing. Religion, we're perhaps in religion the most guilty of this. How many know that we have a cross that's there? This is a symbol, but there's nothing sacred in a sense of pieces of wood together. Are you with me? There's nothing powerful. There's no power that we derive from this symbol. Uh, I, I, that behind me is not p- perpetuating any power. Uh, there's, there's nothing sacred in a sense about the symbol There's something that we remember through it, but how many know that we tend to, as human beings, worship idols? We tend to worship motions. We tend to worship methods. And before long, what do we do? Well, we start praying to things we shouldn't pray to. We start worshiping things we shouldn't worship. We start bowing down. Uh, Isn't it interesting that the first commandment that God gives to us is, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images. Thou shalt not, he he tells us, don't pray to them, don't worship them, but yet we form whole religious systems around our worship of, our idolatry in. And before we think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, come on, sometimes if we're not careful, we worship things we shouldn't worship. We tend to worship our relationships, we worship our careers, we worship sports, we worship money, we worship our stuff, we worship our marriages. We tend towards idolatry. How many know this? Jesus did not come to replace one broken religious system with another broken religious system. Jesus came to free us from the law of sin and guilt and death that was written in our hearts because of the fall of man. Wherefore, is by one man sin entered in the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. There's a lot of symbolism going on in the text, isn't there? There are a lot of motions being followed. And can I remind you that for years and years and years, the Jewish people had gathered to observe the Passover supper. But now what was happening is they were doing it because they were mandated to they were doing it because they had to they were doing it because and i've seen people well that's you know crazy that people would do that you ever see people around christmas time christmas eve we're controlled by aren't we our holidays we're controlled by oh, i have to do this i have to do that i have to it's amazing some of the things that we do around these holidays isn't it it's amazing some of the things because why because we're controlled in our culture often by the symbols. I'm not trying to defame or try to break down, but listen, isn't it important the meaning for which we do these things? And can we lose the message or the meaning sometimes in our motions? You ever come to church and just go through the motions? You with me? Anybody with me? Can we be honest today? You ever come to church and just go, I'm here. That's kind of, how you know is kind of like you're just watching the clock. It's like, I'm here, we're going to leave here, I'm I'm just getting in, I'm clocking in, clocking out. What's what's the most important thing is that I'm here, not the reason why I'm here. Mm. We missed it, didn't we? Uh, Sometimes we focus on the song, or the style, or the uh, oh I'm a I can sing, or I I can't sing. How many know that we're supposed to worship the Lord today, but as we sang, I'm going back to the heart of worship, where it's all about you, it's all about you. Jesus, it's, it's not a song because you require more than a song. You, you require my heart. You want my heart. Hey, did we give him our hearts today or did we just go through the motions? Well, oh, This is too heavy, Pastor. We need something a little bit lighter and a little bit more. No, no, no. Listen, if, we, if we're not willing to examine ourselves, judgment begins at the house of God, doesn't it? But we, we need to examine ourselves. Hey, this remembrance... This, this, this whole ordinance that God gives to the local church is about drawing us into remembrance. Why are we doing what we're doing? How quickly we forget. Uh, we, just, uh, we just went through a, a remembrance, 9-11. We just went through September. Isn't it interesting how quickly we forget? It was interesting for me this year that there were no children in school that were alive when that happened. Does that blow your mind a little bit? They weren't even alive when it took place. So many people remember where they were when they heard about these things. But isn't it interesting how, when that happened, the churches were full, but how quickly we forget. We, we rush in tragedy into the house of God, and then in our pleasure, in our comfort, we feel no more need to go back to those places because... We don't see the meaning. We don't, we don't feel, we don't sense the meaning. It's not my job today to give meaning to what you do. Christ gives meaning to what you do. If you find what you're doing to be motions without meaning, look to your own heart. The Spirit of God gives meaning to our motions. If it's just going to church, if it's just reading my Bible, if it's just saying my prayers... If it's just going through the motions, boy, that's not a very fulfilling life, is it? What we find fulfilling through the gospel is that there is so much meaning behind everything that we do. Now, there's a one field of thought. Let's just get rid of all the symbolism. And some do that. Let's just, we'll just throw it all away. Get rid of all the symbolism. But how many know that Jesus didn't say to do that? As a matter of fact, he told us to gather. He told us to baptize. He told us to... He didn't say get rid of the symbolism. He said just don't forget the meaning of it. Don't redefine the meaning. Don't forget the meaning. Just do this. As often as you do it, as often as you gather this do in remembrance of me. The Bible says that we would show the Lord's death until he come. How much do we need to be reminded? Come on, how many have the notifications on your phone? How many have the calendar? How many have the ding, pop, ding, pop, All every two seconds, hey, telling us, look here, look here, look here. How many know that sometimes it's so distracting from, we can't even focus on what we're doing and who we're with. I was talking to a pastor yesterday and he was saying this, like never before, pastors are competing with things that they never should have to compete with. In other words, We're competing for the attention of people's minds. We're competing for the attention of their minds. And here's the thing. Our minds should be on what we're doing. How many have ever hurt yourself because your mind wasn't on what you were doing? Your mind was somewhere else. Prone to wander, the songwriter said, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it. For thy throne above... I'm prone to wander. I'm prone to lose focus. I'm prone to lose attention. Even in this discourse for the last five minutes, some of you have come in and out, in and out of attention. You say, I just have a short attention span. No, we lack discipline as believers today. We lack discipline. That's why we cannot read the Word every day like we should. That's why we cannot pray every day. That's why church... Members even today, we're, we're begging, pastors are begging the church to come to church. Please, please come. The church is the people. The church, please come. Please come. Please come. We're begging the church to come. to. If we had the right meaning behind what we were doing, no one would have to be begged. We would be motivated. We would be motivated because we would see the need in it. So many, this is the average church member today. It uh, doesn't matter whether I'm there or not. It doesn't matter whether I give or not. It doesn't matter whether I serve or not doesn't matter if I miss or not. I'm not important to... What? Any any part of your body you'd like to lose today? Are you with me? Any part? Insignificant part? Any any part you'd like to just sever from today? Anybody up for losing anything? Uh, The body. The body of Christ. Are we not? The body of Christ. Hey, we're not all the eyes. We're not all the ears. We're not. We being many members are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Hey, all of us forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. How much, so much the more as we see the day approaching. We went from a church that gathered daily to a church that gathers dutifully sometimes, to a church that just doesn't gather. But the church of the living God gathers. Are you with me? And we see the meaning. Number one here in the text, the meaning of the preparations. The meaning of the preparations. Notice here the purpose. The text says the disciples came to Jesus wanting to know where he wanted to observe the Passover meal. The Passover was the main feast of the Jewish religious year. It was to be held on the 14th day, of the first month of the Jewish calendar still is today. The first month of their calendar roughly corresponds with April on our modern calendar Isn't it interesting that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is something we can point to and say, that's when it happened? Aren't you glad for that? I can't do that with the birth of Jesus. Does anybody understand, you know, Jesus was not born on December 25th? It's when we observe it. It's okay to observe it. It's okay to to, to do some of the things that we do. I'm I'm not going to mandate to you how or, or how not that you do those things. Because the Bible doesn't mandate that to us. But interesting that to the resurrection, he points to the calendar and says, hey, that's when it happened, guys. There's a date that we can go to. Something of a surety that we can do. I mean, resurrection Sunday, Easter, that's the time where we say, hey, we know this happened. We we know when it happened. We're marking the date because this is a significant part. Because without the resurrection, if Christ be not risen from the dead, we're men most miserable. There is no meaning in our motions without the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And here he's marking, marking for us. He's pointing to the calendar, marking for us hey, this is when I died, and in three days I'm gonna rise again. There's a purpose in all this. The regulations for the Passover, you can look up in Exodus chapter number 12. And, and why don't you guys throw up that picture? There's a kind of a picture here today, modern day, uh, a Passover meal. And uh, they uh, uh, would observe this. They were to choose a lamb which was killed on the evening of the Passover, Exodus 12, 3 through 6. They were to take the blood of the lamb and put some of the doorposts of their, of their house, Exodus 12, 7. They were to roast the lamb over a fire. They were to eat it with bitter herbs and unleavened bread, Exodus 12, 8. They were to eat this meal dressed for a journey with their shoes on, their walking sticks in their hands. They were to eat as though they were in a hurry, Exodus 12, 11. And the order of the meal is as follows. They were to drink a cup of red wine mixed with water, diluted. Luke twenty two seventeen. 17. There was a ceremonial washing of hands, which symbolizes the need for spiritual and moral cleansing. They ate bitter herbs, which symbolized their bondage in Egypt and the bitterness of captivity. They, they drank a second cup, at which time the head of the household explained the meaning of the Passover. And as Jesus did with his disciples, they weren't drinking the whole cup, they were sharing the cup. They uh, would then sing the first two uh, uh, of the Halal Psalms, which are found in Psalm 113 and Psalm 114. And then the lamb was brought out The head of the household, how am I doing? Am I doing okay? All right, I'm doing okay. I'm checking with our Jewish resident here, all right? There's some other ones here, but I know she keeps me on track with this stuff, all right? But uh, the lamb was brought out. The the head of the household uh, distributed pieces of it with the unleavened bread. The, The unleavened bread symbolized haste. There was no time to allow the dough to rise before the journey would begin. But also Jesus showed us also what the lack of leaven symbolized, and that was sinlessness. Uh, they, they drank a third cup, and they would conclude the meal by singing the rest of the halal psalms, which is Psalm 115, 116, 117, 118. And this was the meal the disciples were asking about. Orthodox Jews still observe the Passover the same way. It's been observed for thousands of years. But sadly, they've missed the meaning to the meal. Sadly, they go through the motions, but don't know the motives. They don't know the message. This was the meal the disciples were asking about. It would be worth our time, really, to, to stop here and talk about the Passover meal, because it's a wonderful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, that's what it was, a picture of. The feast involved the lamb. But notice Exodus 12.3 called for Israel to choose a lamb... This couldn't have been any lamb at all. They, they called it the lamb, and it refers to the, a particular lamb that was chosen for the meal, and then it's called your lamb. It was the lamb, and then it was your lamb, because the lamb became personal to them and their need. They select the lamb on the tenth day of the month. In Exodus twelve three, and they were to keep the lamb until the fourteenth day of the month. There would be an attachment here that would develop between the, the family and the little lamb. In other words, they brought the lamb in, they spent time with the lamb, and then the lamb was killed. Are you getting it? The lamb came in, they spent time with the lamb, they they developed an attachment for the lamb. It's kind of like how farmers feel when they have children, right? These aren't pets, all right? Uh, some of you have chickens, and you understand this, this process. You name them all, right? And this one's called dinner, all right? You know, so... But sometimes we don't understand that. This is what's coming. The lamb is is significant. There there would be an attachment that would develop. God wanted them to see the high cost of sin. He he wanted them to understand that salvation is an intensely personal business. Can I say this? Jesus Christ is not just a Savior or one among many. He is the Savior. Uh, His saving work is not accomplished in your life until you can say that Jesus is my savior he's your savior is Jesus your savior uh, have you abandoned every other hope of salvation in any other thing or any other one to embrace the lord Jesus christ as your savior the lamb exodus 12:5 was to be without blemish without spot it's a picture of perfection and purity, this lamb speaks to the Lord Jesus because He's without blemish, blemish, without spot. He's the sinless Savior. The lamb was to be slain. Its blood applied to the doorposts of the house. Exodus twelve seven. The, the family to gather inside the house and eat the meal. Because when the death angel passed through the land to kill all the firstborn children, those who were in the homes with blood on the doors would be saved. You see how these stories become crazy without the meaning you see how unbelievers look back at a, a God? How could a God? How, how could a God uh, what was he showing to them? Death was coming, wasn't it? Wherefore it's appointed that a man wants to die. Death is coming. He's trying to show us the consequences of our sin will come to fruition. When sin is finished, it brings forth what? Death. In the day that thou hey Adam and Eve, in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. For the wages of sin is death. And death and hell were cast in a lake of fire. This is the second death. Death is coming. Death is certain. Boy, how many know that sometimes the flesh cons us into believing we're going to live forever? The anthems of the world, we'll live forever. We'll live forever. Uh, we'll stay young forever. Our lives are not the vapor that God says they are, but how many of us have been reminded again and again about our mortality? That life is a vapor, it's here, then it's gone. Many of us have loved ones that are not here with us today. Why? Because we've been reminded of our mortality. That one day, everything and everyone around us, should God tarry, will die. Death is coming. Death is certain. But the death of of our souls, the death of who we are, that's what God came to free us from. But not just that spiritually, but also physically. Jesus came to bring the resurrection to us Lamb slain, the death angel passes, is a picture of Jesus. The only shelter anyone has against the wrath of God is the blood of Christ. If you ever have hope to be saved, you must uh, uh, come to Jesus Christ by faith. And the Bible says His blood washes every sin away. His blood is the only shield against the wrath and judgment of God. The lamb was to be roasted with fire. Fire is a picture in the Bible of judgment. And it reminded Israel that a judgment of God was being poured out on sinful Egypt. And the only thing that prevented Israel from being judged with Egypt was the blood of the Lamb who had died to save them. Do you think this began to resonate with those that believed on Jesus? As John the Baptist sees Jesus on the shore and points to Him and says, Behold, the Lamb. Remember, it started with the Lamb. Behold, the Lamb, the chosen Lamb for the Passover of God, which will what? Take away the sins of the world. He was identifying Jesus as the Lamb, the Passover Lamb. Thousands of years they killed, uh, fire-roasted these lambs, ate them with haste again and again, every year, every year, every year. death, 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 death. And now the Lamb was with them. It was that tenth day of the month when Jesus walked along the shores of Jordan and was identified as the Lamb. It was the 14th day when Jesus went up with the disciples into the Passover and the Lamb was killed. You get it? Jesus is pointing to the exact moment when the Lamb's identified and the Lamb is given as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. This truly was the Lamb of God. This is the Lamb of God. Jesus judged in the place of the redeemed ones. The Lamb had to be eaten. It did no good to simply select a Lamb, it did no good just to kill the Lamb. The Lamb had to be brought into the life. It had to be absorbed by the one. It had to enter into the person. The lamb had to be eaten. The lamb is the, true, is the same as true with Jesus. His death on the cross is meaningless until you receive him by faith. There's much more that could be said about the Passover, but for time we won't go into it, but we see the purpose of this. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus Oh, precious is the flow, that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. There was a purpose, there was a plan. In their response to the question, Jesus sends two of his disciples to make the arrangement for the Passover. We know that these two disciples, according to Luke 22, were Peter and John. And according to the Jewish law, only two men were allowed to accompany a lamb for sacrifice. Notice Jesus still following, fulfilling the law. Jesus tells them to enter the city to look for a man carrying a pitcher of water. They were to follow this man, and he would lead them to a house where they would find everything ready for the meal. How many on the surface, those seem like very vague instructions? Go to the city, the city, uh, the city where millions of people are right now, uh, observing the Passover. Go, go to the city and, and find a man who's carrying a pitcher. Well, this would have been significant because only women carried pitchers of water. When men carried water, they carried them in leather satchels or canteens or something like that. Only women carried the pitchers. There was a a man that would be carrying the pitcher. This would be significant. He would stick out, if you would, like a sore thumb. What's even more significant is John Mark's house, the the man that God used that wasn't present at the meal. Perhaps is even believed to be, this is the house of John Mark, his family, the place where many of the disciples would go later into the upper room to to have fellowship, to have prayer, to meet together and worship God. It's interesting, all of this, isn't it? No coincidence with God. Purpose and plan, purpose and plan. But isn't it interesting how sometimes His purposes and His plans are are veiled to us? We lack understanding, don't we? But we lean not unto our own understanding and all our ways we acknowledge Him. We trust also in Him, don't we? We follow Him. Uh, So many people look at faith today and call it foolishness. And I understand that sometimes there's a fine line there. But what I'm saying is it's never foolish to listen to what God says in His Word. It's foolish to try to add to it. It's foolish to take away from it. It's foolish to think I don't need it and I can rely on my dreams and my experiences to look for God to show me a way. But how many know we need to stop trying to think about things we don't know and start thinking about the things we do know? So many Christians have divorced their lives from the Word of God. They don't know the Word of God. How different are we than all those other religious people following the methods and the motions of religion without even knowing the reasons why? Have you ever asked a religious person why they gather on Sunday? Do you know why? Why do we come together on Sunday? What's the reason? Do you know why? Uh, listen, isn't it important for us to be ready to know, to give an answer of why we do what we do? What separates us from, is it just because Sunday, that's the day in, in our culture where people go to church? And I understand as the culture has changed, the reasoning behind things have changed. I mean, let's be honest, Sunday's no longer the day where everybody goes to church. Used to be that in our culture. But when culture changes, how many know God's people don't change because we know the reason why we do it? We understand the meaning behind it all. We see the importance of it. We see the need for it. We're not casual toward it. We understand this is a necessity in our lives. How many know that when you don't see the Word of God as a necessity to your life, you don't read the Word of God? Man cannot live by bread alone, but by every Word of God. We know that, but believing that is a different thing, isn't it? If I believe that I cannot live without God's Word, then I will not believe this to be an unnecessary part of my daily life. It's necessary. I need to do it. How many know that there's so many things that are necessary to life that we see, humanly speaking, sometimes we don't do them, sometimes we do them, but we need to gather. We need to get into God's word. We need to be a people of prayer. These are things that we need, but yet we find Christians living weak, anemic, powerless, spiritless lives. Not because they have to, but because they choose to. Because they don't get behind the meaning of it all. They don't understand the meaning of it all. I don't want to just be someone that goes with the flow, goes with the motions. I want to know why I do what I do. How about you? How many glad that God doesn't leave us in the dark? That God shows us. But often the understanding and the blessing comes after our obedience, doesn't it? Isn't that why it requires our faith? So many times you say, God, tell me why, and then I'll do. And God says, do, and you'll know why. God bless me and I'll do. God says do and I'll bless you. And then sometimes what we find is that the blessing is not at all what we thought it was. The blessing was better than what we thought it was. The blessing was deeper than what we thought it was. That we thought blessing was getting more stuff. That we thought blessing was getting our way but blessing truly is God having His way in our lives. Being free from guilt and the power of sin in our lives. Notice there was a purpose, there was a plan, there was the meaning of the Preparations, but then there was the meaning of the prophecies. We've got to hasten because of time, but I want you to look at this just for a moment. Jesus and his men, they arrive to celebrate the Passover, and sometime between verse 17 and verse 18 in our text, the events of John 13 take place. Somebody remember Jesus assumes the place of a slave and washes the feet of the disciples? Jesus becomes a servant who washes their feet. Remember Peter? Peter's so resistant in this process, isn't he? Not I, Lord. Not me, Lord. Jesus comes to wash his feet. Not me, Lord. Don't wash my feet. We get his. We get why he says that, right? I mean, if we were there, it's a humbling thing for someone to do something like that to you. But he says, if I don't, you're not. You have to understand this is needful. You need me to wash you. You need me to cleanse you. How many know the only one that can wash you and cleanse you is Jesus? He washes the most uncomely parts of you. He washes the parts of you that you're ashamed of. He washes the parts of you that no one else sees. He washes the parts of you that you hide, that you cover. He washes the parts of you that are the stinkiest parts, the uncomely parts of us. That's what He washes. Hey, Jesus washes our sins away, doesn't He? How I glad that He doesn't just wash what's seen, but He washes what's unseen? How many thankful that Jesus washed away the sins that nobody else knows about? That Jesus died for the thoughts that nobody else hears? That Jesus dies for the despicable things of our lives that we're so ashamed of? Jesus bled and died for those things and Jesus hung naked on a cross, unashamed for us, forgiving us. How could we ever be ashamed of Him? How could we ever be ashamed of His name? How could we ever be ashamed to live the life that He came to offer to us freely through His Son's sacrifice. The meaning of the prophecies, notice there's an announcement, Jesus washes the feet of the disciples, He drops a bombshell on the group, he, verse 18 announces that one of their numbers is going to betray Him in the hands of the Jews. There would be betrayal, there would be shame, there would be denial, and all of this was going to come from His own disciples. We know the identity because the Holy Spirit identifies to us, but doesn't identify to them. Isn't it interesting that Jesus doesn't identify to Judas where they're going to have the meal? How many know that maybe at that point Judas would have told them where the meal was? He would have disclosed where the meal was. Jesus doesn't disclose to them because it's not the time. It's not appointed yet. Jesus had to do these things first before he would be offered There's announcement, and then there's an astonishment. The disciples hear that one of their groups, a traitor, they're filled with astonishment. We all have this picture of the Last Supper. have ever seen that painting, the Last Supper? Uh, Can I just help you theologically? It's very inaccurate. It's a Roman view. It's imposed on uh, the text. But here in that day, they would have been more, if you would, Roman, in the sense of sitting on the floor, pillows at their back, we understand now how John would have been resting on the shoulder of Jesus. How also, guess what else was happening? At the front of him, Judas, or at the front of him, John, uh, at the back of him, Judas. The one that he loved and the one that hated him. The one that he loved, the one that rejected him. His, he's facing John, his back to Judas. Judas, guilt-ridden, there, understanding that he's the one And at the moment, he's dipping in the sop with Jesus. Jesus identifies, but still, they would have all been sharing in the sop. And so Jesus still doesn't call him out. Notice Jesus giving Judas a chance. Some theologians like to turn Judas into a hero, and others like to turn him into a robot. But can I remind you that Jesus loved Judas? He called him friend. He chose him. He gave him a chance But Jesus knew what was going to happen. He knew the choice that He was going to make. Predestination is not about us being robots. It's not about about us following something, if you would, that's been pre-chosen for us. But God, the Bible says, says that we are chosen according to His foreknowledge. God knows what we will choose. God knows whether we choose Him or don't choose Him. God knows who His are. Are you with me? God understands those things. God knows those things because He's God. But God didn't make us like the angels at one time who apparently had some choice, but then it was been removed and taken away. He didn't make robots. He made us in His image and His likeness. He made us with a choice. Boy, we've made some bad choices, haven't we? There's an astonishment, and then there's an appeal. Notice in their astonishment, Master, is it I? How many know that sometimes you don't even know your own heart that's why David said this search me, oh God and see if there be any wicked way in me i I don't even know if if it's there God I want you to know I want you to search it out I want you to reveal it how many know that God knows what's in your heart before you know what's in your heart Our heart is desperately wicked the Bible says above all things we can't trust it we can't know it but we live in a world that says follow your heart follow your Desires, give in to your emotions, if it feels good, do it. And God says, don't, don't trust your heart. Because our hearts condemn us, but God is greater than our hearts. That man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. How many know that because of Jesus, you've received a new heart and you needed one? You needed one. Because of your heart, you were desperately wicked and dead in your trespasses and sins. There's an astonishment, but then there's appeal. Jesus uses this opportunity to try to reach Judas one final time. In John 13, we're told Jesus identified the traitor by John giving Judas the stop, sop. He gives him a piece of bread, which was dipped in a fruit mixture that was much like jam. He he hands the sop by ones uh, uh, to be handed the sop by the host was the ultimate form of respect and love. To be identified at the meal, to be handed that sop was something that showed love. Jesus was showing love. Can we remember when Judas betrayed him with a kiss? Jesus called Judas, friend. Friend. I love you. I love you. Jesus' time, the Jews, uh, again, had adopted this Roman style of eating. They were reclined on pillows around a low, low table. John laying his head on the Lord's chest, Judas behind him. The sop, they're sharing the same bowl the one that loves him and the one that will betray him. Jesus calls him out. Notice what Jesus says in verse 21, Woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Good were it for that man that if he had never been born, Judas would have been better off to have never lived than to have lived and died lost. Can I say this? To live without Jesus is a terrible thing but to die without Jesus is eternal death and punishment in a place that Jesus described as where the fire goeth out not out the worm dieth not hell's a place of punishment hell's a place of fire hell's a place of thirst hell's a place of pain a place of wrath a place of frustration and anger a place prepared for the devil and his angels a place of eternal separation from God and all that is good. It's a place that none of us want to go. Everyone wants to talk uh, about going to heaven, but nobody wants to talk about how you get there. There's only one way, by the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Can I tell you, there's no other place. There's heaven, there's hell. There's believing on Christ or rejecting Christ. There is no in-between. There was the preparation here for the supper, the meaning of the preparation, the meaning of the prophecies, and lastly, and we'll close today, the meaning of the provisions. The meaning of the provisions. The meaning of the meal. The old covenant had been enforced since the law was given to Moses. He gives them an example. There are times when words just aren't enough, aren't there? Jesus knew this. He says, verse 22 This is the bread which represents my body. Look at verse 22, They did eat, Jesus took bread and blessed and break it and gave it to them. Take, eat, this is my body. How many understand that he wasn't saying the bread was actually his body? He was speaking symbolically. He was showing them something about himself. When we take the bread and break it, we remember that his body was broken uh, for us, but we do not cannibalize him spiritually. We're not eating ingesting the body of Jesus it's not supernatural the bread just like the ordinances Hey, listen, it's water, there's nothing in the water the Holy Spirit's not in the water you don't receive the Holy Spirit through water you don't receive the Holy Spirit through baptism, physical baptism you receive the Holy Spirit through a baptism of the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ that which is born of the flesh is flesh that which is born of the Spirit is spirit You know, people always try to take the physical things that God gives as pictures and turn them into more than what they are. Baptism doesn't save. The Lord's table doesn't save. These are symbols. You could go through the motions this morning. You could take the cup. You can take the bread. You can take those things and still not know Jesus Christ as your Savior. And I'll tell you, many people this morning are doing that. They miss the message. They miss the meaning. How many thousands of years had they observed the Passover and missed the meaning? They didn't understand it. They couldn't understand it. But here now they could. Jesus shows it to them. He reveals to them the New Testament. What would have happened then is as He took the bread according to the Passover meal, He would have said this, Praised be Thou, O Lord, Sovereign of the world, who causes bread to come forth from the earth. That was the traditional Jewish statement as the bread was taken. But Jesus adds to it a new meaning. Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. 33 years earlier, in a town called Bethlehem, or the house of bread, the bread of life took on a human body. How many are thankful for that? Jesus was born in the house of bread. He said, I'm the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. This is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me, says in Luke 22, 1 Corinthians 11, he says, For I have received the Lord that which is also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Jesus used the bread that night to teach his disciples what he was about to do. He was on His way to the cross to lay down His life for sin. He was on His way to Calvary where His body would be broken for you. How many glad that it was a a bread that had no leaven. It was a Savior without sin, a lamb without blemish, because only a perfect lamb could be offered. All of the lambs up to this point had failed, but this lamb would accomplish what all of those had failed to do. Then He brought the cup which represents His blood, verses 23 and 24. And The time came to drink the third cup. Jesus passed it around to the men at the table, and as He did, He would have said, May the All-Merciful One make us worthy of the days of the Messiah and of the life of the world to come. He brings salvation of His King. He shows covenant faithfulness to His anointed, to David and his seed forever. He makes peace in His heavenly places. May He secure peace for us and for all Israel. And you would say, Amen. But on this day, Jesus adds, This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. This is my blood. My blood. This is the last meal, but the first meal. The last one that they would have to observe according to Jewish law. Because when Jesus died on the cross, I glad once for all, no more lambs, no more sacrifices, no more of these animal sacrifices. He did away with all of it because all of it was no longer necessary or needed because He was the Lamb that was shed. His blood was shed for all sinners of all time. This is my blood of the New Testament. Jesus was about to be crushed by the full weight of religious Israel and mighty Rome. The wine in the cup was produced through violence. Grapes were picked and crushed underfoot to extract their juice. Isn't it interesting that people today love to use this as an excuse for their drunkenness? Jesus drank. Jesus drank. Can I remind you that Jesus is not drinking to be drunk because it's a sin to be drunk. The Bible says, woe unto Him. The Bible tells us that a, a, a strong drink is raging. Wine is a mocker. Whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. What's he reminding us of? People love to use Jesus as an excuse. Well, Jesus never spoke. Jesus never did. Jesus never, they're using this as an excuse. Jesus was not social drinking, friends. He was showing them about the fact that he was about to die, that his body was about to be crushed, that his blood was about to be shed. It's not an excuse for us to go out and party. Are you with me? Jesus was trying to show something significant to us. But we tend to take that which is holy and make no difference between the holy and the profane. That which is sinful and that which is good. Jesus is making a clear statement here. He was delivered for our offenses. He was raised again for our justification. The Bible says God commended His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He hath made in thee sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. He says, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given Himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling Savior. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. When Jesus was crushed on the cross, His precious blood was shed. When the blood was shed, God was satisfied. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remissions of sins that are past, through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, at this time His righteousness that He might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. The third cup in the Passover feast was called the cup of blessing. Paul picked up that theme in 1 Corinthians 10. He said, the cup of blessing which we bless is not the communion. Is it not the communion of the blood of Jesus Christ? He was calling them. He said, all this symbolism has a meaning. All this motion has a meaning. All of this mandate has a meaning. And all of it gives meaning to us all, doesn't it? Why would Jesus do what He did? He did it because it was the Father's plan. He did it because it was the only hope we had. He did it because He loved us with great love. He did it because He loved me. I think you should make it personal to yourself too. Because if we just make it corporate, we miss it, don't we? He did it because He cared for me. The songwriter, psalmist cried out, No man careth for my soul. How many are glad that Jesus cares for your soul? He loves you. What is your soul? It's the essence of who you are. What Jesus did now gives meaning to all that we do. We find meaning in our relationship with Christ through Christ's sacrifice. We find meaning now in a life of sacrifice. You know, some people live religiously a life of sacrifice, but they miss the meaning of it all. Did Christ die so we could live for ourselves? Did Christ die so that we could live our lives? No, Christ died so we could live His life. But sacrifice alone on our part doesn't give us salvation. If not, we'd be crawling on our knees today. Are you with me? To bloody ourselves, to make ourselves worthy. If not, we'd be making ourselves pay some kind of penance. How many glad that you don't have to share In Christ's sacrifice, you don't have to add to it. You can't add to it. By the way, we taint the blood of Christ when we add our blood to it. Our blood's tainted. His blood's perfect. The only blood shed that's perfect for my justification is His blood. I can't add to it. I can't take away from it. But what does it do? Well, it now propels me into wanting to live a life like He lived, which calls me to sacrifice, doesn't it? I'm not supposed to go and live how I want. Now I present myself what? A living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is my reasonable service. Nobody ever comes to the cross and walks away truly having received salvation, says, Okay, now I'll go live how I want. Nobody. When we come to the cross, we come away with, I've now received his life, his forgiveness. The, the commendation to us, the command to us is the commission to us. Come on, church, go and sin no more. That's what he tells us to do, that we would present ourselves a living sacrifice. How many you are doing it imperfectly like I am today? You wish you were a better offering today. How many are perplexed the fact that he even wants you right now? Why I look at God and say, why in the world would you want my worship? What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou would visit him? God, there's nothing good about me. There's no good in my flesh. There's no good thing in me. Have no confidence in the flesh. Take no confidence in yourself. The Bible says that there's no goodness in our flesh at all. The only thing the flesh needs is to be crucified. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ that lives within me. Come on, do you feel the conflict, Christian, between what you're supposed to do and what you do? Between what you should desire and what you do desire? Sometimes that conflict is so strong, does anybody ever give in to the temptation? How many are glad as a believer that you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous? That you have a mediator. Does that mean I want to go and sin? Does that mean I want to go live my life so I can come back and say I'm sorry? Confession is not repentance. I can say I did something without being sorry that I did it. How many know that God came to give us repentance? To change our minds about what we do. To hate what He hates and to love what He loves. You know, God hates sin. Sometimes we say hate the sin and love the sinner, but I believe God says to us, hate your own sin. Sometimes we do a better job hating the sins in others than we do hating the sins in our own hearts. God, help us to hate our own sins. We find meaning in a life of sacrifice. We find meaning in gathering as the church. May we not gather together as a body of Christ in a meaningless way. What does he tell us? When we gather out of mandate or out of motion, we lose the motives, we lose the worship, don't we? I don't want to come because I have to. And so many people, boy, they bucked that through the years. I don't know about you, but my parents drugged me when I was a baby. They drugged me to church every Sunday. Drugged me in, drugged me out, drugged me in, drugged me out. Are you with me? Some of you are like, what? What? what was he talking about? Drugged me, drugged me. I came to church. By the way, you ought to bring your kids to church. Don't ask your kids, do they want to come to church? It shouldn't be whether or not, do you want to come? Should, do you, is this what you want? No, take them. I'm glad my parents took me because I would have made some bad choices as a kid. Are you with me? I'm glad that they were the parents. They decided what was best for me. And they said, hey, this is where you need to be. And you know what I learned? I learned through the Word of God how to be saved. I'm glad that our little ones right now are hearing the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that they're able to make us wise into salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus but what point did we make church just about kids? Remember those years, those eras where parents dropped their kids at church instead of taking their kids to church? Some of you, that was your parents. They just dropped you off. It was a place for you to go, but it wasn't good enough for them. How many know that we need the example? We need to be the example. We need to understand that we need it. so I know the stories. I know the... Hey, have you lost the meaning, though? We need to get back to the heart of it, don't we? The heart of it is that it's pleasing to God when we gather. He commands that we do it. But I want to do it because I love Him. How about you? I know when we just do it out of duty, we lose our joy. But when we have a desire for it, why have you lost your desire for it? Why don't you ask God to give you a new, refreshed desire to do what pleases Him instead of doing what pleases yourself only? God, help me to do what pleases you. We find meaning in giving the bread away. Now I can share the bread with others. How many are excited about that? that This week you'll be able to share the gospel with somebody. I hope you're excited about it, because if you're not, you probably won't do it. Have you determined to share the bread, the bread of life, with others that are there around you? And we find meaning in the glorious goodness of the grace of God. Boy, grace isn't licensed for me to live how I want. Grace is a supernatural enabling for me to do the will of God. How many need that today? Supernatural enabling to do His will. I would have never chose to do His will. I chose to do my will. But because of Jesus and His grace, I can now do His will. I'm thankful for that today. If God has used this ministry in any way to be a blessing to you, please take a moment to send us an email to info at opendoornj.org. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at opendoornj.org. Thanks for tuning in.